Everywhere you go, people are taking selfies. And sometimes it's cute. Sometimes it's fun. But a lot of times it's just annoying. Have you noticed that? I mean, you have to be really careful now because as you're walking through places, people who aren't watching you, they're watching that screen in front of them trying to get just the right picture. They're going to bump into you. I Literally, I had to stop my car in a parking lot because somebody's standing right in the middle of the drive area taking a selfie. I don't even know what they were taking a selfie of, but they were about to get run down and didn't know it. I mean, that's how annoyed I was. I didn't run them down. Say, that's good, Pastor. But um, I thought about it. That's bad, Pastor. Um, And you know, this whole selfie thing just has uh, become quite a thing. Psychologists are very concerned about it. Did you know that? They're really concerned about this whole selfie culture. And they're concerned about this trend because it seems like people are more and more self-focused than ever before, and that's leading to all sorts of other problems. And maybe that's true. I mean, it sure seems people are far more public about it. I mean, they work hard to get a great photo and post it online so everyone can see how good-looking they are, even if it takes them 50 pictures before they get one that makes them look good-looking online. But, um, But it isn't just photos. I mean, in the last few months, we've heard of athletes using the hashtag GOAT, which stands for greatest of all time. And there are GOAT rings, and uh, there have been uh, GOAT cakes for a retiring skier. And you know what the problem with declaring yourself the greatest of all time is? It's a short-lived title. Somebody's going to work really hard to take that title away from you. And uh, so in talking about this, I started thinking about it. I thought, is this really new? And I decided, no, it really isn't. I mean, you can go back to ancient Egypt and you can find all sorts of statues and pictures that their leaders set up of themselves, kind of ancient selfies that are sitting around that uh, the archaeologists have found. And so wanting to be the greatest isn't new at all. It's common in every field. I mean, teachers want to be the teacher of the year. And kids want to be the student of the month. And when they get older, then they want to be the employee of the month. And We just want to be the greatest. And even Jesus' closest followers fell into this trap. The Bible tells us that it happened apparently several times, that several times they started having a discussion, maybe even an argument, about which of the followers of Jesus was the greatest follower. One of the times it happened was because of a mother's request The mother of James and John came to Jesus one day with her boys in tow, and she said, Jesus, I want you to grant a request for me. She said, when you come in your kingdom, when you're sitting on your throne, grant that one of my sons will sit on your right and the other one will sit on your left. And Jesus turned to James and John, according to the scriptural account, and he said, 
are you guys able to go through what I'm about to go through? And naively they said, we're able. And then Jesus explained that giving those places of honor wasn't really his to give, that it was uh, God the Father who would grant those positions. But here's the interesting thing. The Bible says that when the other 10 followers heard about this, they became indignant. Why? I think it was because they hadn't thought of it first. They hadn't thought to ask for those places of honor before them. And apparently they became indignant. And that's when one of these arguments over who was the greatest happened. It happened as they were walking along the road. And it might have been the very same day that they were heading to the upper room for what we call the Last Supper. And as they're walking towards the upper room, they're talking about this. And here's how I picture it. I picture the 13 of them in a group and they're walking. And I think Jesus is at the front of the group talking to some of them. And the argument's going on at the back of the group. And every once in a while, somebody from the front of the group kind of fades to the back of the group and makes their point as to why they're the greatest. They come back and they say, well, I'm the greatest because he chose me first. And they have a little discussion and then they go back and join Jesus. Somebody else fades back, maybe Judas. And he says, well, I'm the greatest because he trusts me with the money. And others fade back and say, well, no, I'm the greatest because he took me to that mountain where he was transfigured. And of course, Peter, and he might not have even faded to the back of the group. He might have just yelled it out because that's how Peter was. He said, well, I walked on water with him. I'm obviously the greatest. And they're having this discussion as they walk along the road, and they don't think that Jesus knows what's going on. They apparently think that Jesus is oblivious to what is going on. Now, we don't know whether this is actually the way the discussion went down or even if this was the same discussion on the same day, but we do know that they were arguing about who was the greatest when they got to the upper room for that last supper, for that Passover meal that they're going to share just before Jesus is arrested and beaten and crucified. And we know that because Luke 22 says this, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. So they get to the upper room having this argument about who's the greatest and there's a problem. You see, they had walked all day on dirty, dusty roads, roads that animals had been on, and they were wearing sandals and their feet were filthy. Their feet were really, really dirty. And the host of the house would have provided a basin and some water and a towel. And if it had been a wealthy house, there would have been a servant there. The lowest servant would have been there to wash their feet. But apparently there was no servant. And now the discussion of who is the greatest is intensified. Everybody is standing there with their arms crossed and uh, they are refusing to wash the feet of the others or even their own feet because that would mean that they were less important. Now remember, in those days, they ate at really low tables and they 
reclined at table. There would be pillows around it, and they would kind of lay down and lean on an arm, and they would eat. But what that meant was somebody else's feet were really, really close to your face. Okay? Not pleasant. And so it's, it's in this setting that we come, and we find that the passage says that the food is served, and they're reclining at the table with dirty feet. Basically, they are saying, I would rather have this three-hour meal with your dirty feet in my face than stoop down and wash your feet. Now, all of this time, Jesus has been watching this little mini-drama quietly. And the Bible says that that's when he gets up and he takes off his outer robe and he gets the basin and the water and the towel and he begins to wash the feet of his followers i kind of picture that they're still arguing and then all of a sudden one feels water and a towel on his feet and he looks down and he sees jesus there and suddenly he has nothing else to argue about he's quiet and one by one it becomes extremely silent in the room as they notice that Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, is doing for them what they had absolutely refused to do for each other. And when Jesus finishes watch, washing their feet, he puts down the dirty towel and the bowl of muddy water, and he begins to teach them. I think he had their attention. Here's what the passage says in John 13. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me master and Lord and you do well to say it for it is true. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. How true it is that a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends him. You know these things, now do them. That is the path of blessing. Let me give you three key lessons that I think Jesus wanted them to learn that night and he wants us to learn today. Here's lesson one. I am not too good to serve. I am not too good to serve. Just like the disciples that night, sometimes we have ideas today about what we should and shouldn't have to do. I mean, we think certain things are beneath our pay grade. We think we're overqualified for certain tasks. And Jesus is clear, that is not an attitude that he wants his followers to have. If you claim to follow Jesus, you are not too good to serve. You are not too good to do the lowest of the tasks that Jesus wants done. Look again at those verses. Jesus said, you call me master and Lord, and you do well to say it, for it is true and since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. How true it is that a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends him. Jesus showed by his example that serving others was a high priority for those who want to follow him. I'm not better than Jesus, so I'm not too good to serve. 
You know, Chad's going to like this part of the message. I don't know how many meetings I have been in in my 40 years of ministry where we have been discussing some not fun task that needs to be done, some dirty job or some uh, tedious job, and somebody in the meeting has said, well, I've got an idea. We should have our junior high and high school kids do that. It will be good for them to learn to serve. That's what they say. And um, here's the thing. I don't disagree with that. It is good for our students to serve, and our PAC does a great job of teaching our kids to serve. You do a great job there. But here's what I've noticed that when I've been in those meetings, it always seems like the person saying that, that it's always said by people who aren't serving or would never do what they're suggesting our students should do. They seem to think that that's beneath them, that that's beneath them. And um, if I'm a follower of Jesus, no task is beneath me. I can plunger a toilet. I can pick up communion cups. I can pick up trash around the building. I can set up tables and chairs. I can host at the landing. I, I can work with kids. I am not too good to serve. And neither are you. And neither are you. The second lesson is this. I'm not like Jesus until I serve. I'm not like Jesus until I serve. Look at what Jesus said in verse 15. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I don't care how long you've been a Christian or how spiritual you think you are. If you're sitting on the sidelines, and if you're not involved in serving others, you're not like Jesus yet. You're not like Jesus yet. The passage is clear. Jesus intends for everyone who claims to follow him to serve others. Jesus is saying he wants his followers to be known by the fact that we do what other people are too proud to do, that we do what other people are too busy to do, that we do what other people think uh, is beneath them. To be like Jesus, I have to notice the needs around me. I have to do something to help solve it. If we're like Jesus, we'll notice when our neighbor's snow needs to be removed or their yard work needs to be done, and we'll just do it. If I'm like Jesus, I will notice when a newcomer comes into the church and they seem kind of lost and I will help them find where they take their kids and I'll ask them to sit with me in service. If I'm like Jesus, I will figure out what needs to be done and I'll do it. The one thing I can't do if I'm a follower of Jesus is sit back and expect everyone to serve me. I have to find a way to serve other people if I'm going to be like Jesus. We have a slogan around here that kind of defines our church. Some already filled in the blanks on this one, didn't you? Here's our slogan, let God love you and love others through you. Let God love you and love others through you. And we've been using that slogan for about 10 years now. And I'm really pleased to say that for some, it's really catching on. 
Some are really catching it. I mean, many more people today are letting God love them. I mean, they're doing great at understanding that he loves them, even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of their failures. They are beginning to get past that ingrained feeling that God can't possibly love them, and they're enjoying understanding that he cares about them, that they are his personal concern, and many are really letting God love them. But not as many have picked up on that second part yet. Many haven't yet let God love others through them. Oh, they hear about how we need people to serve, and they just keep saying that they're too busy, or they don't know how, or they give other excuses, and I'm trying to be gentle here, really I am, but please hear this point clearly. When you're letting Jesus love you, but you're not letting him love people through you by jumping in to serve, you aren't like Jesus yet. You are not mature as a follower of Christ yet. Instead, you're doing exactly what Jesus' closest followers did that night. You're sitting around waiting for someone else to serve you rather than doing what Jesus did by humbling yourself to serve others. Jesus had one other lesson that night. I think his lesson is this, I'm shortchanged until I serve. I'm shortchanged until I serve. Listen to Jesus' words You know these things. Now do them. That is the path of blessing. That's the path of blessing. Jesus says serving others is the pathway to me being blessed. So many people are looking for happiness. They're looking for fulfillment by trying to get more and more stuff, by trying to have more and more success. And we think that uh, when we are successful, when people are successful, then other people serve them. You know, wealthy people have chauffeurs and butlers and household servants and personal secretaries. We see people serving someone as a mark of success, but Jesus says just the opposite. He says, when we serve, we will be blessed. When we serve others, we will be blessed. He didn't lower himself to serve. He showed us that serving is the highest path, that it's the highest way, the best way. It is the path to God's blessings. Today, we're highlighting one of our supported ministries, Light of Life, and I want you to watch the video that we're about to watch, and then I want you to hear directly from Doug Smith, one of their representatives, as he shares some of the blessings that come through serving people in need. Watch this video. Uh-oh. 
Thanks. There we go. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? Awesome. It's an honor to be here. Uh, my name is Doug Smith. I work at Light of Life. I've been there for eight years, and I'm the director of development there, which just means I'm a, I oversee all the fundraising and marketing. And it's a great honor. Um, uh, in my time, first, I just want to really challenge you and encourage you. Uh, if you get nothing else out of my part in this message, uh, I want to encourage you to go home and in your devotion time, um, spend some time doing a study on God's view of the poor and, and how God calls us to, to serve the poor. I think it will really do a work in your life. You know, people ask me all the time what I've learned working in Light of Life. Prior to, work, I'd light of, prior to working in Light of Life, I was on staff in a church and youth ministry and got on staff. Actually, I was helping plan a church. The church couldn't play me, pay me. So I just got a staff at Light of Life just to, to really get by. I thought I'd be there for a year. But after a year, I really felt like God was dealing with me to stay there. I, I developed a love for the poor, the homeless, the needy. And right after that, um, my sister came to me, it was around Christmas time, and she was five months pregnant with my nephew, and she said, Doug, I need help. And I said, well, what do you mean you need help? What's wrong? And she started crying. She said, Doug, I'm a heroin addict. I need help. And I, I, I had no idea what to do. Now, to give you context, um, when I was 17 years old, so actually all throughout high school, my sister and I was a drug dealer. We used to get high together, and when I was a senior in high school, my mother passed away, and when my mom passed away, Christ came back in my life, rededicated my life to him, and my life just started going that direction. My sister just kept going down the same path uh, that we went. So through my sister's addiction, I went to our women and children's director of Light of Life and just said, I have no idea what to do. And, and to this day, seven years later, our women's program continues to walk my sister through her, her addiction. And she's been in and out of our program. She's been homeless. And I bring that up because if you were to tell me before I started at Light of Life that someone in my personal family, not just someone I know, but someone in my family, uh, would be at Light Up Life, I would have just, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, but what I've come to learn about the poor is that, one, we're all one or two decisions away from being the exact same position that they're in. And the reality is, knowing the men and women that we serve, if you had to go through a fraction of what they had to go through in their lives, you'd be lucky to be in this good of a position that they're in. And then the second thing is that everybody is somebody, right? It, it's, it's one thing to see someone and not know them and just be like, oh, okay. But when you start to view every man and woman that you see on the street as someone's brother, someone's sister, someone's father, someone's mother, right? It changes your heart and it changes the way you serve them. It changes the way you interact with them. And that's our heart for everyone who comes and serves at the mission of Light of Life. We want them to see everyone who walks their doors as somebody to serve. I love what Tim Keller said. He said, if you don't love the poor, then you don't know what God's done for you. I'll say it again. He said, if you don't love the poor then you don't know what God has done for you. Romans 5.8 says, maybe it's 5.10, but it says, while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, while we had nothing to offer God, nothing, he died for us. And I think the question that when it comes to serving the poor is how do you treat people who can do nothing in return for you? What do you do for them? And are you doing anything for them? And I think that's where God wants to challenge you. And so I want to encourage you to get involved with Light of Life. A real basic overview of what we do. We've been on the north side since 1952. We're a Christian organization. We believe that Christ is the answer. We actually have people that answer the phone. Christ is the answer, Light of Life. Um, we have a chapel every single day, three services a day. We want to share the gospel and give people hope through Christ. We actually just received a thank you letter uh, for a man who stayed in our shelter 40 years ago, gave his heart to Christ. He came back to say thank you. Now his wife is, uh, has committed her life to Christ, and his whole family tree is being changed simply because we shared the gospel in a chapel service. We have a meal ministry. Last year we served over just under 250,000 meals. We serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner uh, every day of the year. 
uh, and we also send hundreds and thousands of meals out. Your church actually participated, and we have a Thanksgiving dinner basket outreach. Last Thanksgiving, we provided 1,300 families on the north side with everything they need for a Thanksgiving dinner um, just to serve them. And so thank you for being a part of that. We have an overnight shelter for men. Uh, we have a short stay program for men who are homeless, but it's not drug or alcohol related. We have a short, uh, we have a, a small mental illness program for people with long-term mental illness. And then we have two recovery programs for men and women. We have 38 men who uh, live with us anywhere from nine months to two years. And we have 30 women in our long-term program with children. And we actually don't have on-site housing for them. So we rent apartments for them all throughout our city and pay their rent while they're in our program. And then we have 10 single moms without children who live in an apartment building that we own uh, so that they can live in community in our long-term program. And those programs, phase one and two, is really just let's get to the heart of the issue of why you're here. If you use and you're an addict, why? And let's fill that with Christ. And once we feel like they've got that under control, we move into the more practical things like education and employment, uh, whether that's teaching someone how to read and get their GED, all the way up to we've actually had men and women with doctorate degrees and master degrees in our program. So that's a big overview of what we do. We have a donation center uh, where we meet people's needs, furniture, clothing, everything you can think of. So that's an overview. My challenge today is just one, do a study of God, of God's word, what he says about the poor, and, and then do something about it just with the messages today. So if you'd like to get involved, I'll be in the cafe after service. We'd love to have you come down and volunteer. I'd love to give you a tour. And uh, just thank you as a church body for caring about the least of these that Jesus said to. Thank you. Thanks, Steph. Now, if you give to Impact, when we say every week that we're privileged to partner with what God's doing, that's part of what you're partnering with. And uh, we are proud to be partners with them. And uh, thank you so much for sharing today. And uh, we appreciate that. And again, you can go by the cafe following the service and they can give you even more information. Uh, by the way, we participated in those 13 hundred Thanksgiving baskets, thanks to our pack ministry. I wasn't kidding when I said that they serve. Green beans. People had green beans because of it, right? Okay. But Jesus' lesson is we're shortchanged until we serve. He promises that when you serve others, you will be blessed the question is, do you believe that? I really do. I really believe there is no greater joy than knowing that you have joined Jesus in what he's doing. And those of you who are serving might get tired at times while you're serving, but you're probably also discovering that there is no better exhaustion than spending yourself, than the exhaustion that comes from just giving yourself away and serving Jesus. But I think for most people, Becoming a servant is a significant decision on their part. Uh, it's almost a kind of second conversion experience. I mean, some really struggle with whether or not they're going to give their heart and life to Jesus in the first place, whether or not they're going to be converted to him. They make all kinds of excuses, and they delay, and they postpone, but then they finally say, I, I have to do it. 
I have to become a Christ follower. I have to trust Jesus to save me. I have to be baptized to die to who I used to be and so that I can begin living for him. And sometimes our first conversion to Jesus wasn't an easy process. And the same thing is true when we go from a life of selfishness to a life of selflessness. I don't think anybody just drifts into it. Let's face it, it it rocks your world because it changes so much. It changes your schedule. It changes your perspective. It changes your outlook. And if you aren't actively serving, if you can't identify how God is using you to make a difference in the lives of people, I want to rock your world. I want you to have that conversion experience, to be converted to being like Jesus by being selfless and a servant. So let me challenge you today to not just let God love you, but to let him really love others through you. And to do that, I just want to give you uh, this. I want you to undertake three key actions. The first is simply get serious about following Jesus' example. Get serious, serious about following Jesus' example. Decide that you're going to do what Jesus asks and follow his example. You're going to be like Jesus. Decide that you'll no longer sit around waiting for someone to treat you like a customer in church, but that you will be one of the team members serving others here. Make it a priority to be like Jesus. Decide that you have to serve and start figuring out where. The second key action is this. I suggest stop trying to make it convenient. Stop trying to make it convenient. You know, if we're going to be servants, servants don't get to do that. Servants don't normally get to set what they do for uh, their master based on what fits their schedule and what they like and what uh, is convenient. Servants show up when and where they're needed by the master. They work the other things in their life around uh, serving their leader. And serving uh, from a real selfless heart is never, ever going to be convenient. You'll find yourself in places you never thought you'd be. It will always cost you time and comfort and money. And you may have to record your favorite show so that you can lead that growth group. It may mean that you adjust your holiday schedule to serve people a meal on a holiday. It may mean that you sit in the middle of a row towards the front of the building so that our visitors can have those coveted aisle seats near the back. It means you probably uh, will begin to attend one service and serve during another service. One of the things that our whatever-it-takes all-star servants here do is they serve on Saturday during our Saturday night services, and then they come back on Sunday so that they can attend a service for themselves. They come both Saturday night and Sunday morning because they want to serve, and honestly, we need more people to make that commitment. Saturday services are really hard to staff with workers, and it's a service that is growing with lots of new people. Maybe you can be one of our Saturday night all-stars. But stop trying to make serving convenient. Instead, try, instead of trying to make serving fit your schedule, make your schedule work around serving. That's something Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to follow his example. He wants you to be like him by serving others, and he will bless you when you do it. So figure out what he wants you to do and do it. Last, 
Make serving who you are. Make it who you are. When we become like Jesus, when we really follow his example, serving others really becomes who I am, not just what I do. A selfless heart sees needs everywhere, not just at church. You begin to notice people who might need help in the grocery store or in gas stations or at the side of the road as you're driving by or people in your home that might need help. And you offer to help because you're becoming like Jesus and serving is becoming who you are. It's a part of your life now. So how do you make serving who you are? Well, honestly, you decide right now to start today. Decide to start today. You go to the action step booth right back there after the service and you say, okay, it's time for me to serve. And we have so many areas where we can use people to serve. You know, I think one of the things that works against impact in any church this size is that when you walk in here, it looks like we have everything covered that all the bases are covered, that everything is flowing together well, and you don't know how many weeks that hours before a service starts, we don't know who's going to run that camera or who's going to work in uh, guest services or who's going to run the sound booth or who's going to work in the cafe or cover a parking post or a security post. And if you don't think we need you to serve here at Impact, I'm telling you, we do. We do, and we will train you. We'll train you how to welcome our guests and to work with kids or to run the sound and lights or, uh, or the cameras or to host at the landing during the week or be on the setup and teardown team. The list could just go on and on. So start serving impact today. Stop at the action step booth or just take that connect card and mark the box that says, I want to serve and help and we'll contact you. But maybe you're not sure where you want to serve, don't make that too complicated. Just ask yourself, what am I passionate about and what am I interested in? And using those questions, we can help you find the right place to serve. Also, our Get in the Game class will help you to really evaluate your talents and your personality, and we will suggest some areas where you can begin to serve. March 10th is the next time that Get in the Game class is being taught. And again, this isn't just a weekend thing at church. Every day, everywhere you go, look around and notice the needs of people in your line of sight and begin to just let God love others through you. So my first suggestion is start today. The second is don't ever stop. Start today and don't ever stop. There's no retirement age for serving Jesus. This might feel like it's just a commercial here for serving, but it isn't. Remember what we're talking about here? We want you to have the best year ever. And I really believe with all my heart that you will never experience the best year ever until you become like Jesus and begin to serve. You just won't. You're never more like Jesus than when you are serving and you're never less like Jesus than when you're selfish. Honestly, ask yourself, has focusing on your own needs and your own convenience led to joy and fulfillment in your life? It usually doesn't. 
When we focus on ourselves, you know what we notice? We notice all the times we were slighted, all the times that we didn't get what we deserve, all of the times that we wanted more and didn't get it, and we end up more dissatisfied, more disappointed, because God designed us to be others-oriented. He designed us to serve. That's his plan for us. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. God planned for us to do good things and to live as he has always wanted us to live. That's why he sent Christ to make us what we are. Don't waste your one and only life chasing things that will rust and rot away. He has planned for you to do good for others. That's how he always wanted you to live. I don't want you to do this because the church needs this. I want you to do this because I want you to have the best year ever, the best life ever. And I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to be like Jesus. And if you're already serving or you've served in the past and you've felt like quitting, don't you do it. Don't do it. Keep living the life that you were meant to live. Keep living beyond yourself. Look at what Paul said at a discouraging time for him in his service for Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, since God has so generously let us in on what he's doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. God has let us in on what he's doing. He has shared with us the joy of impacting lives for him. He cares about people who are hurting. He cares about people who are hopeless. And because he cares about people, you and I get to help him influence people. We get to serve him. We get to make a difference for him. And as a result of what we do together for him, more people will be in heaven. More lives will be changed. More people will say yes to God. You say, come on, Steve, that's pretty dramatic. All I do is work in the nursery. That's all you do? You realize that when you're changing diapers in the nursery, Jesus is changing hearts in here? You say, all I do is work with impact kids. That's all you do? 50 years ago, there were some people that all they did in a church was work with kids and partially as a result of what they did I'm your pastor today what you do for Jesus is significant it changes lives you represent Jesus to the people you serve and we represent him best not when we're proudly defending our, the truth of Scripture on social media or when we're posting Scriptures or cute little sayings. We represent them best when we're humbly serving, when we're letting God love others through us.